Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from CMS, the Church Mission Society. I'm Trevor Smith and this month we look at some of the big issues in the world that can often seem overwhelming. We'll hear honest reflections and stories of hope about disability, deforestation and first, human trafficking. Rebecca Flitcroft was a CMS short-termer for a year in India, first in the northeast and then in Delhi at a rehabilitation home for trafficked girls. Naomi Rose Steinberg met her and found out how her skills in dance and in illustrating had been used in anti-trafficking work there. Rebecca started by showing Naomi a picture book tool she created for teachers to help them raise awareness about trafficking. It leads you through uh, different types of trafficking, the most common type. So Mina, she gets trafficked in to work as a housemaid. Aisha, she gets trafficked to work in a brothel and Deepak, he works in a factory. So these are the most common ways um, and types of trafficking. There is others, but this is the one that I thought you know, it would cover in India. It's about how they, who they met and... And so now people have copies of this now? Yeah, and like, yeah. Um, like it's been own. used. I've left it there at the home that I worked in and the staff that I trained to use this um, are now using it in schools, which is really great. They're using it in schools and they're doing smaller copies um, that are like ones that people can look at personally. And they're using it with loads of different age groups as well which is really good so this was something that they really were looking for um, a way of teaching about human trafficking that's it's serious but it's not shocking to look at these pictures yeah they're great illustrations yeah they're kind of cute it took a lot of editing and I learned a lot about working as part of a team and doing all the background work for stuff and yeah. How did you first get interested in the subject of human trafficking? Um, actually, in um, where I live in Birmingham, two salons on our high street that got closed down. Um, and this is when I was at school, so I was about uh, 15, 14. We had an assembly, and in this assembly, the head teacher talked about um, why the salons had been closed down. They were just nail parlours. You know, some of us would used to go there after school and get our nails done. And they said there'd been people traffic there and they were running an illegal brothel at the back this is when I first started thinking that's strange it's England it's modern day you can't really have slaves but um, actually the more I learned about it the more I realized that slavery is more than ever now and it's it's a different kind of slavery it's mainly sexual slavery and I think this really struck me because I would never have guessed it's in my high street. Um, And that's what made me realise that it is actually everywhere. And then why India? I suppose because India's always been in my heart, in my life. My grandparents were missionaries in Bangladesh and with CMS, actually. which They used to tell me little things which just gave me an inkling of, wow, I want to do that one day. And human trafficking in India is... It's the maximum. They have the maximum amount of prostitutes. They have the maximum amount of corruption within the police. So it seemed like a good place to start where no matter what you did, you were helping someone. Did you think that you were going to be able to use your um, dance skills when you went over there? I'm not a dance therapist. Um, I don't have any qualifications in that. But um, having studied dance all my life, I could suggest dance activities and group movements that would be helpful for the girls of how to 
release some emotions and distract them from the pain they're feeling without creating a false thing. So it would allow them to grieve through it without kind of being aware that they're grieving through it. How many girls are at this home? Um, They're licensed to have up to 12 because the girls sleep there as well and they have to do police statements and um, stuff so they couldn't have too many at one time. They normally had around eight. Sometimes they did have maximum of 12. And these girls ranged from the age of nine to the age of 20. But we were never sure what age they were because a lot of them came not knowing. So if I were to ask you sort of best part, not so best part about your experience in India, what what do you think? I suppose the best part was the people I lived with, my roommates um, in New Delhi. They were really great. They were very supportive of what I was doing and they helped me any time that I said, I'm stuck with this, I don't know where to go. They were there to help me, they were there to look after me. and You know, I've met some of my best friends there. Um, Also, coming out with a finished product that I feel like isn't finished, like it's still going on, it's still working there, it's still um, happening there. And I've kind of, like, opened the door of how people can use education um, in creative ways. So that that feels really good. I suppose not-so-best part is why my job role should exist. There shouldn't be this problem in modern-day society. I suppose some of the worst parts was, you know, you'd hear a terrible story on the news in India about this girl was raped and all of this stuff, kidnapped, and then a week later... Her name crops up and she's at our home. That was really hard, some of those bits. And sometimes I thought, this can't, nothing's ever going to change. I'm not making a difference. That was probably the hardest bit. Let's join Rebecca in praying about the terrible problem of modern day slavery and trafficking that can feel too big to ever be ended. But let's remember the founders of CMS and their fight against the transatlantic slave trade and how all things are possible with God. Now we move to another huge battle, one that is often disheartening and sometimes downright depressing. In the Chaco region that covers northern Argentina and parts of Paraguay and Bolivia, big business is cutting down the forest at a truly alarming rate. Mission partner Andrew Leake is helping local communities monitor what's going on and speak out whenever they have the opportunity. He told CMS intern Tyler Overton about some unexpected recent events that have brought glimmers of hope. We often feel we're fighting against an unwinnable war, if you like. We have most battles are also lost. It's quite a disheartening role. But recently we've seen all sorts of indications of of, uh, God's hand in this Um, the Greenpeace has launched a national a national campaign against deforestation which we've been able to feed information into and that's put pressure on the local government up in the north of Argentina to put some brakes on the process and force them into a bit of a dialogue with organizations such as our own so that's an exciting development it was an unforeseen one a few weeks ago There are signs that deforestation as an issue has now erupted onto the national agenda. Also international, just yesterday I realised I was sent an article, the World Bank is 
questioning Argentina about its deforestation. Because what a lot of people don't realise, Argentina's probably got a higher... Well, in 2007, it had the world's highest deforestation rate. Argentina has got a far larger indigenous population than has Brazil. But even people in Argentina don't realise that. Mm. So... That, in a sense, is a success, just getting the issue onto the agenda. Right. So, but we need to move further than that and try and find a, a more just approach to social and environmental development that includes the rights of those who at the moment are being trampled on. I've heard that you've met uh, with some important people uh, as part of this process. Uh, is that accurate? Um, and if, has anything come of, come of those meetings, if so? Yeah, if by important people you mean key players in the struggle against deforestation, I've met with... A lot of people who lead different organizations uh, I've also we've just recently had a, a quite a long meeting with our provincial government's minister for the environment who also mm. happens to be the same minister for agricultural development that was quite an extraordinary uh, event because we'd been trying for a long time to get their attention and to ask them to give us possibility of a meeting and that never happened never happened then suddenly out of the blue the minister asked us to go and meet with him mm. so it was actually fantastic to respond to that and be able to go to him based on his request and he gave us an hour and 40 minutes which is quite a long time for a minister out there in which we were able to explain to him exactly what we saw or can see that's going on on the ground and highlight some of the key areas particularly of social injustice that they need to address so that's quite an exciting event great um i think we're about ready to move on to prayer requests and yeah. um, but before i do um, is there any? Uh, are there any other developments that we should know about? Uh, anything that has changed since we last got, got in touch with yeah. you about? Well, we work locally, but we're also working internationally. I'm I'm a member of the Anglican Communion's Environmental Network, and in conjunction with people who are spread around the globe, the network has an initiative called the Eco Bishops Initiative, which is bringing together bishops from around the world who have either a deep concern for creation care and particularly climate change or their diocese includes communities or regions that are being affected by climate change and we're meeting in Cape Town in February if I got that date right and that's a very exciting development on the international scene mm. because it's going to enable the Anglican Church I think to develop a lot more teeth in its um, participation in this whole debate on climate change, which um, that's that's for, that's an exciting new development, which has just come out since I was last here in the UK. I'm also um, linked in informally with the Lausanne Movement's uh, initiative on creation care, and we there are some interesting developments there as well, which include a series of regional conferences around the world in which uh, key evangelical leaders are having the chance to bring and share uh, concerns and, and news on what the church might be doing in, in that realm of caring for creation. So that's another international forum which we're involved with. And it's interesting to see how that's all developing in conjunction and in parallel to what we're doing at a local level in Argentina. What can we be praying about um, right now that's going on yeah. in Argentina? At a local level, I would ask for awareness and prayers for our safety um, in what we're doing may sound <laughs> romantic or whatever you want to call it uh, in fact we are treading on the toes of people who are investing millions and millions of dollars in clearing land developing soybean farming so we're not you know we're not dealing with small fish we're dealing with huge fish the context we're working in is one in which you have to tread very very carefully and um, uh, remain diplomatic 
the attitude to take is to be as gentle as doves but as wise as serpents in this situation so pray for safety and wisdom and discernment in how to intervene in that often conflictive uh, environment family wise we've got three children studying out in Argentina it's not the easiest place to study in so pray for them as they tackle uh, uh, often quite demanding university study courses and I think also pray then for, for our work at an international level pray for this ASIN or Anglican Commune Environmental Network initiative with the eco bishops <laughs> great name so pray for that and that that might be fruitful let's pray especially that god will sustain andrew and his family in the difficult task he's called them to and that there may be many more signs of hope in this ongoing struggle the stigma attached to disability in many countries is yet another huge problem resulting in many people with disabilities being shut away by their families because of shame However, when Jeremy Woodham met mission partners Christine and Paul Salomon, they told him one amazing story of hope and what can be done in God's strength. Christine is Mission and Evangelism Coordinator for the Anglican Church of Tanzania and Paul teaches at St John's Anglican University. We'd hear how we can pray for them, but first, the inspiring story of Godlove. One person that has been a real inspiration to us is a man called Godlove who was a student at the university uh, when I first came there. I never actually taught him because he was uh, studying in the business uh, side of the university. And the main difference between him and uh, nearly all the other universities is that uh, he uh, does not have use of his legs, and so he is wheelchair-bound. That hasn't stopped him in his terms of his education. He's uh, managing to do a, his undergraduate degree then, and he's now also um, working on his master's. And uh, he actually, it's been a real eye-opener uh, to staff and students at the university because there are you do get a lot of disabled people in Tanzania, but uh, very rarely do you see them in relatively elevated positions such as even a student at a university. You've got to remember that universities uh, are still quite rare in Tanzania and very few students will even go to secondary school, let alone reach the dizzy heights of uh, a university student or a master's student. And he's now actually working at the university as an administrator uh, in the research department uh, of the university. So that can't, I mean, that can't be an easy journey for him, I'm imagining, for what, we, for what you've just said in the general uh, setting and mm-hmm. the the stigma attached to disabled people that we often hear about that we know exists. Yes, I'm sure, and I and I and I haven't gone into uh, a, a lot of that with him, but I'm sure it must have been very difficult. But I'm sure he must have had a very supportive family and background that would have invested in him um, in terms of supporting him through schooling uh, and university. And but now the main thing is that he's an amazing witness to what God can do in his life. He's a very devout Christian. Um, but also to just what you can achieve d- despite things like uh, his uh, physical disability. Uh, and so, as I say, he's a, he's a member of staff at the university. Uh, he's seen all around campus and he ha- still has great difficulties uh, getting around sometimes in his wheelchair when it's raining or when the area becomes very sandy and his, his wheelchair gets stuck. 
but he's a real it's a real uh, great witness and eye opener. But uh, he's also uh, known to Christine because he also went on one of Christine's or two of actually Christine's music courses. Yes, he's attended two music courses, month long music courses. He's a very keen musician, and he was again he was a great witness to all the other students. Firstly, in terms of his amazing Christian faith and his enthusiasm for the faith but also because amongst all the students there he was the most highly educated and had the best job of all of them and for them to see this guy who came along in the wheelchair as the most educated of all of them and in the music school both music schools he was top of the class we have little exams at the end and he had 97 98 percent in each year um he was top of the whole class and and the other students were, were amazed to see this and they all loved him. He's a great character as well. He's full of joy and and he's great fun. So everybody fell in love with him, really. <laughs> and, um, so it was great to have him on the on the course. And although he started off as not not a very good musician, really, he he learned hugely from the course, and that's something he's gone on to use in the church where he worships. He's really strongly involved with the music ministry there in his church. So he's he's doing great things. Um, One of the great little um, events that happened during this. Uh, music school was when at the end of uh, the sessions um, he came in his wheelchair out of the uh, the classroom and went to his car which uh, he's only recently managed to get a car with uh, uh, which has been adapted so that he can drive it by using his hands and not uh, not his feet and um, most of the students there I must I wouldn't have known, thought that they would know hardly anybody who actually owns their own car, but to actually see a disabled man um, get into his own car uh, and drive away using uh, the manual controls uh, was quite an eye-opener for them, and they were all amazed uh, at just what uh, can be done despite what life throws at you. Now, looking to the uh, future, the next few years, um, what are the plans, what are the key things that you're praying for, hoping for? I will certainly be going back to teach at the university. Um, I will certainly be continuing my role of education and physics laboratories. Um, But there are other possibilities that I might um, take up in the future, things such as um, working at developing our uh, e-learning provision and continuing to work with the English service uh, congregation at at developing um, programmes and developing the ministry of the chaplaincy at the university. Uh, those are some of the things that I might be getting involved in, but I'm, I, uh, the nature of, uh, of, of working in Africa and the nature of working uh, in the church, I think, uh, with God, is that we, we never uh, hold too fast to, uh, to, to our visions because God often has a, a bigger vision than we do, which uh, doesn't always overlap with our, our hopes and dreams. Yeah, and I I will be continuing to work in mission evangelism, um, but again, I'm not exactly sure what it will involve, but I hope that I'll be able to develop training of evangelists, training in music, and the the radio radio station project as well. And yeah, I really ask for prayers, particularly for resourcing of the department, which is a very poor department. Um, Just pray that we're able to to get the resources and the money that we need to to go ahead with some of these projects so that we're able to really really encourage the evangelists who are doing amazing work in Tanzania but against great odds really without without the resources without the finance to enable them to do it effectively but 
with a great passion and a great heart to spread the gospel. So, yeah, just pray that that God will make these things possible. Christine and Paul Salomon outlining how we can pray for the future work in the university and the mission and evangelism department. Let's give thanks too for the example of God love. This season on Audio Mission, our final reflections come from our mission partners themselves. This month, we return to hear some thoughts of short-termer Rebecca Flickcroft as Naomi asks her what she's learned about mission through her experience with CMS. What do you feel like maybe some things that you learned, like lessons learned maybe about mission or like about yourself or, you know, Um, things that you kind of learned or discovered? About myself, I would say that I kind of realised anything's possible with Jesus like I mean I used to look at the tube and think I can't travel on the tube in London I can't possibly it's too big it's too much but having traveled around India by myself found a roommate sorted out my own rent I realized that if I rely on the strength that Jesus gives me it's possible and I can do infinitely more when I trust in him than if I trust in myself only so that's one thing I learnt for myself. A thing I learnt about mission, I suppose it's not really what you do or what you can tick off your list or who you can talk to. It's it's how you do those things. It's how you build relationships. It's the way in which you communicate with others. And you could go out there and not come away with any big projects having been completed, not come away with anything significant to say. But I can pretty much guarantee that if you show the love of Jesus in just your personality, you'll have helped so many people. And that's everywhere. That's not even just in foreign mission. That's just your day-to-day mission, like walking down your road, like going shopping in your local shopping centre and actually saying hi to someone. And that's what I've learned about mission, I suppose. Short-termer Rebecca Flickcroft reflecting on Mission Down Your Street to end this month's audio mission about the big issues that can sometimes seem too big for us, yet where Jesus is always bringing hope. Join us next time to hear more voices from the grassroots of God's mission around the world. Thank you for your prayers.